just if you have your Bibles with you, if you turn it back to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. Uh, I spoke back in June in the ladies' meeting, and shortly after that ladies' meeting, one of the ladies uh, called me aside and said, Andrew, if you ever get another opportunity to speak, uh, please bring that message again. So uh, I've definitely been praying about it, and I'm going to bring really the main crux of what I brought to the ladies' meeting uh, tonight, and it's just from a really different slant. So ladies, I apologize if you have to listen to it again. I do apologize, but I'm going to try and see if this will not work. But So every time I say Timothy, it's not found in Joshua. It's just Timothy's going to click. So if you just click the next one, Timothy, please. So it's important to remind ourselves tonight that whenever we read God's word, that we have, uh, we have to be thankful that we have God's inspired word in our own mother tongue. And you know, whenever we read the Bible, it's not just a normal book. The Holy Spirit has inspired each writer from Genesis to Revelation what to write down. And because it's Holy Spirit inspired, it's irrefutable. It's been challenged many times, but the Bible stands like a rock undaunted. And you know, God has revealed himself uh, through his word. He wants us to know who he is, and he wants us to have a relationship with him. And whenever we go through the Bible, God teaches us that he is ultimately holy. He's holy and he hates sin. He is just, he's infinite and he's eternal. He's all powerful and he's all knowing. And God is everywhere present. And you know, God knows the beginning to the end. He's described himself as the Alpha and Omega. And you know, we're often taught through scripture that nothing happens by chance. As we as Christians don't believe anything happens by chance. And one word to describe God is that he is indeed sovereign. He is King of kings and Lord of, Lord of lords. And you know, for the believer here tonight, whenever we look at all those descriptive words, we can have great, great comfort knowing this truth. But you know, sometimes we as Christians, knowing those truths, we can quite often neglect our responsibility as God's children. The fact of the matter is, that just as true that God is indeed sovereign, and he is, that we also have a responsibility. The next one, Timothy. So how can the two coexist? Will they not collide? Is there not a contradiction there that God's sovereign, but we also have a responsibility? And you know, one simple principle to apply when looking at these both areas is that God's sovereignty and man's responsibility will never contradict Scripture. And those two train tracks there, what interlinks them is God's word. And whenever we go through God's word, we can see that indeed God is sovereign, but we also have a responsibility. And you and I are living in a world where people outside the church, and sadly often inside the church, believe what determines what is right and wrong for a person should be set by their environment. Morality should be a reflection of the community's common consensus. And they say, what is right for and wrong for you may not necessarily be right or wrong for me. You've just got to follow your heart. And you know, people are okay with the concept of God, and that's only if God submits to their ideology. And that is that God should be good and loving and inclusive of whatever image you have of him. But God, in his word, has a totally 
different perspective. God himself sets the standard and it doesn't change irrespective of the culture mind. Is God good, people ask? Yes. Is he loving? Amazingly so. But the big issue that this generation has with God is that God is indeed holy. And just as we read there tonight, God judges sin. And even we as Christians are often guilty of setting our own standard of what is right and what is wrong. And we may not go as far as saying we justify our sin, but we can often say that we try to rationalize it. You know, yes, I committed that there, but it was under these circumstances. And we try to rationalize our thinking. And we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are saved and we're going to heaven. Why should we read a passage from a time in history where God was showing the Israelites that he is holy and that he can't coexist with sin? If you are a Christian here tonight, then praise God, you are saved. You have a relationship with God and there's no doubt you're going to heaven. It says that no one can pluck you out of God's hand. You're in a place of security. If you do sin, we have told in God's word that he has promised that he is faithful and just to forgive our sin. But that doesn't mean that we ought to take sin lightly. Because if sin is left unchecked, it will impact your closeness to the Lord. It will impact your relationship with God. And sin unchecked in a Christian will still have consequences that will hurt other people. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 1 that, if a, that a Christian can lose their saltiness and become so, no, uh, no different to an unbeliever. And I put the question to you tonight, could it be that the Christian today would rather than what we learned in the Holiday Bible Club, putting on the whole armor of God, that sadly so many Christians today have changed their tactic and they've put on camouflage and with the objective of trying to fit in. You know, the word of God clearly instructs us that as Christians, we ought to be light. And whenever you think of light, it doesn't fit in with darkness. In fact, light is the total opposite of darkness and it really stands out. And with salt, I can speak of experience here. If you ever have a small cut, maybe on your foot, and you didn't even realize it's there, and once you maybe go into the sea, it's not long until you realize, I do have a cut there. And it, you really feel it stinging. And you don't even realize it's there. And it isn't long until you realize, I've got a small cut there. And you know what else salt and light do is they expose. And here we read of how God has revealed the sin and he's narrowed it right down to the Aiken. And it is Joshua's responsibility to expose this to the people. And you know, the word responsibility, sadly today, isn't a popular word. Whenever people think of responsibility, you know, they've got uh, to commit to something, you know, and then that means tying you down. And sadly, that's really unpopular today. And we can often get so reliant on that doctrine, which is true, that God is sovereign, and we can excuse ourselves of taking no responsibility, when in fact both truths are important in Christian living. When we consider this passage on Achan, we can see how following on from that great victory and defeating Jericho in the chapter just before, and Joshua is now considering his next conquest at Ai. And you know, seeing the spoils of war at Jericho, temptation has no doubt set in on Achan's heart. And not only has temptation set in, it says that Achan coveted it. He's committed sin. And temptation has entered his heart. 
And you know, the devil continues to tempt us. In fact, the devil is tempting us on a daily basis. And tonight I want to highlight some temptations that can enter our minds. And when I draw these points out tonight, I don't want to just limit your thinking to just the family home, but also our local congregation as a church family. You know, God has chosen you and he's placed you here in Coleraine Congregation for a particular purpose. And we want to come here to worship God collectively as a family. So I want to draw some points uh, of the family home and to the local church. Timothy, please. And uh, a recent study was carried out on young people and it was asked particularly for young people that were brought up in church families. And they were, the questions were asked about church attendance and the results came back that seven out of 10 said they will most likely leave church whenever they leave the family home. And then whenever they narrow it down, of those seven out of the 10, 70% uh, said that they find church and religion irrelevant today. And I want you to keep that in mind tonight about church, being, church and religion being irrelevant today. And you know, how can we overcome that? How can we make uh, church relevant in our family homes and also in our church family? And you know, the devil often tempts, he tempts, he's attempting and he's bombarding Christian families. There's no doubt about it, the devil is in the attack on the Christian family. And the first temptation that I've uh, put tonight is the temptation, Timothy, of skipping family worship. Maybe you have to click it twice there. The family home and the local church, and then one more. And it's skipping family worship. You know, primarily as a Christian, there should be a time in your family where you sit down around God's word. And you know, family worship takes effort. There's no doubt about it. It takes dedication and it takes commitment. But you know, the devil can often come in and what will he will attack you with is maybe if you've got a very young family, he'll tell you, you know, they're too young. They'll only sit for a couple of seconds and they're back down off their feet and they're not even listening to what's being said. And the devil will come in, you're wasting your time. You know, they're too young, they can't understand it. And maybe you're here tonight and you've got an older family and the devil comes in and he'll tell you, you haven't done it in years. What's the point in starting now? And you know, if I'm gonna start this, it's just gonna end up in a fighting match and it takes so much effort. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says the entrance of God's word bringeth forth light. It's only by reading God's word and because as we looked at the start, it's God's word which has been inspired and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's worthwhile having that time of family worship. And what else does family worship do? It makes God and religion relevant because God's word is more up to date than tomorrow's newspaper. Nothing, as I said, God's sovereign, nothing comes by surprise. And it's having that time of uh, family worship where you're placing the emphasis of God's word. The next one there, Timothy, about how the local church, and you know, as I was praying earlier on about skipping Sundays and skipping midweek worship, whenever you're here tonight, you maybe have unsafe family and they're maybe sitting at home and you know, they could realize, why is mom and dad or why is my aunt and uncle, why is such and such here on a Tuesday night? It's a cold, wet, miserable night, but they're still making the effort because you're placing the emphasis and you're placing reality on how coming to God's house has value, how it's not time wasted. 
So can I encourage you, the devil will tempt you to skip family worship, to skip coming here on a Sunday, and skip coming here at a prayer meeting. So don't yield to that temptation, but study God's word and keep going. The next one is, which is really covers both the family home and the local church. You could skip studying and applying God's word. You know, I don't need to stand here and tell many of you here tonight. I'm sure many people have more lives that are busier than I. But life does get busy. And you know, I know in our house, uh, we don't need an alarm clock. We've got two uh, girls and they're up from the crack of dawn. And you know, from when you wake up in the morning till you get them to bed, it is nonstop. But you know, life can get busy. And because life's so busy, uh, you can be tempted. You know, I haven't even got five minutes here. Uh, I'm not going to read now, I'll read later. Or I'm not going to pray now, I'm going to pray later. And that's the devil coming in, and he's wanting to take the emphasis of God. And you know, if you're from a family that sees the importance of starting uh, the day from God's word, then not only is it profiting you, but it's also profiting those that are watching on. You know, because they realize, you know, mom and dad, there's an emphasis there on reading and praying. They're not going to start nothing until they have spent a time alone with God. You know, can I encourage you uh, all here tonight to be found in God's word in the morning from you wake up and even as you, before you close your eyes uh, at night time, that you spend time alone with God. And it's not just reading God's word, but it's studying it. And I've put in uh, studying and applying God's word. You know, uh, God uh, has revealed many, many promises in his word. And you know, if you start the day in God's word, then it'll not help you, but just not just you, but others around you. And it helps you whenever you come alone with God. And you've maybe read a verse there and you've realized, you know, that verse is for me. That verse is a promise that God has given to me. And you go to God in prayer and you said, no, God, you've said in your word, and I'm claiming that promise. Uh, the next one, Timothy, is uh, skip praying. It's important to take your family to the Lord in prayer. And, you know, we often hear the term, you know, to pray according to God's will. And maybe you think, how can I know God's will? It's all found in God's word. And that's why uh, reading and studying and praying, they really go hand in hand. Because reading gives you clarity to know God's will. And praying helps you pray according to that will. So it means whenever you're praying, you know what God's will is. As uh, we learned on Sunday, and we learned on Friday night from our brother Jason, he was saying about uh, God isn't finding God's will. He doesn't like the word finding, and it's true, because God hasn't hidden it, but we just need it revealed to us. God has it there in his word, and by us reading, we can see what God's will is in our lives. And also, that's not just for us in the family home, but also for the local church. We're here, and we have a vacant pulpit, and we need to know the mind of God in choosing a minister. We need to know what God's will is for Coleraine. And we can find that by reading and studying God's word and even taking it to prayer. So when you're praying, it's not just for the family, but for the family here in Coleraine. The next one, Timothy. Skip praying publicly. Maybe you can come on a Tuesday night and you haven't maybe prayed publicly in years and the devil will tell you, you know, if you pray tonight, you're just going to stumble in your words. There's no point. You know, that's the devil coming in. The God wants you to come here tonight ready and willing to pray and praying for the local church issues. If neglect, praying privately and publicly. You know, we're really what we can call ourselves as selfish, expecting God 
to bless. If we're not going to be prepared to pray for it, but yet expect God to just bless us. And you know, too many are sadly relying on the faithful few. And we shouldn't depend on the prayers of others, but we ought to be active in praying. Uh, Satan will tempt you to give up. You know, whenever God, whenever Satan knows you're at your weakest, it's whenever he sets, sets to break you. As I said, uh, the last time, whenever we read God's word, we hear about the smoking flax and the bruised reed. And God has promised that he'll not break the bruised reed. But sadly, the, the opposite can be said about Satan. When Satan knows that you're at your weakest, we read that, we can see that even whenever Satan was that bold, he challenged the Son of God. Whenever Jesus was out in the desert and he was at his physical weakness, uh, the devil was so bold he thought he could tempt Jesus Christ. But we can take comfort there that he wasn't even able to defeat uh, or tempt Jesus even at his weakest. And he will break that bruised reed. Satan will uh, blow out that smoking flax. And we need to be uh, filled and even built up in the help of God. Not only was Achan tempted, whenever we read here about Achan and he was going through the spoils of war, he looked at that lovely Babylonish garment. And he looked at that silver and that gold and he thought, you know, if I can just take that, no one will know. And Satan was, or Achan was tempted. And he also was then deceived into thinking, you know, I can get away with this sin. I'm going to take it and I'm going to bury it under my tent and, tent and nobody will know. Nobody will see. And he was deceived into thinking that there's going to be no consequences for this sin. So that leads us on to not only being tempted, but the next one, Timothy, is deception. We can be tempted and we can be deceived. The first point there is that other things are a priority. You know, we can be tempted and distracted by education. You know, if somebody says, what do you want for your children? And the first thing you think about, I want them a really good education. You know, once they get a really good degree and a good job, you know, things are sorted for my children. And you're maybe pushing uh, hobbies and interests and who their friend groups are, and you're navigating all these things, and you're making all these other things a priority. When really, us as Christian parents, the main priority is to see our children saved. Saved not just for time, but for all eternity. And it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And God has promised then, if you seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things will be added unto you. Let not uh, Satan deceive you into thinking that education, friends, hobbies are a priority. Yes, these things have their place, but we ought to see our children saved. And not only saved, but serving God. The next uh, deception is maybe you feel uh, they've gone too far. How true is that maybe for some here tonight? Whenever you think of maybe a son or a daughter or a loved one, a friend, a family member, and whenever you think about them, you think, you know, they've gone too far. And the same could be said about the prodigal son. The father could maybe thought, you know, he's away out into the far country. He's gone too far. But the, the father, he was waiting. He wasn't just praying, but he was waiting and expecting. And that's how we should come here tonight. We should be coming, waiting and expecting for God to answer prayer and not come uh, thinking they've gone too far. You know, they've gone too far. It's too much for the Lord. Because God has said in his word that nothing's too hard for him. Those things that seem impossible, that's what God specializes in. You know, come tonight praying that God will hear and answer your prayer. You've maybe prayed for years. You've maybe prayed for a lifetime. And you think, 
no, there's no more hope for them. They just seem to be getting worse. They just seem to be getting further and further away. But it says in the prodigal son that he came to himself. And that's what we long for here in Corrine, that many family members, many of those that went through Sunday school and yet fellowship and they're found nowhere in the house of God, we pray that one day they'll come to themselves. The Holy Spirit will come down and convicting and convincing power and he'll change them. Don't let the devil deceive you into thinking that they've gone too far. The third point is uh, you'll maybe be deceived into thinking that you're going to push them away further. You maybe ask them out on a Sunday night, you know, will you come out tonight? And the same answer is no. And you think, you know, if I'm going to bring this up at the dinner table today, you know, it's just going to end up in an argument. Or if I ask them again, you know, they're going to maybe stop coming to my house or they're maybe going to stop speaking to me. If I ask them, they're just going to uh, push them away. Can I encourage you here tonight to keep on? Uh, you'll never stand before God and wonder, did I, put, did I ask them too many times? You'll never stand before the judgment seat of Christ, wonder, did I push too much? In fact, it'll be the opposite. You'll be thinking, I wish I took that opportunity. I wish I said that then. I wish I'd done this. And we realize tonight that God's sovereign. And in saying that, salvation is entirely of the Lord. We realize that we cannot create an anxious thought. I'm not wanting to get that across tonight at all. But I'm wanting to say that we have a responsibility in sharing God's word and speaking a word in season because it's God's word that changes hearts. It's God's word and it's the Holy Spirit that does the business of salvation. But can I encourage you to keep asking, keep speaking, taking the opportunities when you can because, you know, the devil will lie and tell you if you keep on at them, they're not going to want anything to do with you. You'll just push them away. Then fourthly, uh, God won't answer our prayers. You know, that's quite often what the devil will tell us. You know, we've been praying maybe 20, 30, 40 years. I don't know how long. And maybe the same could be said about Abraham. Whenever we think of Abraham sitting up in that hill and there's his nephew Lot and he's down in Sodom and Gomorrah and he keeps praying whenever God's told Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin is wicked before my eyes. And you know, Abraham, he was praying and every time God came back, you know, and the numbers kept going lower and lower, Abraham kept coming back again. Abraham didn't give up. Abraham kept challenging God, kept coming back, Lord, answer my prayers. You know, the devil can deceive us into thinking that God doesn't answer our prayers. But we have in God's word many, many recollections, many records of God hearing and answering prayer. It says in the Psalms, I sought the Lord and he heard me. You know, the Lord does answer prayer. And I want to encourage you tonight that maybe you've been praying for many years and you feel tonight, you know, there's been no answer. God has promised in his word that he will answer our prayers according to his will. You know, the words of C.H. Spurgeon, uh, he said to neglect the instruction of our offspring is worse than British. Family religion is necessary for the nation, for the family itself, and for the church of God. By a thousand plots, popery is covertly, covertly advancing in our land. And one of the most effectual means for resisting its inroads is left almost neglected, namely the instruction of family in the faith. Would that parents would awaken to a sense of the importance of this matter. It is a pleasant duty 
to talk about Jesus to our sons and daughters. And the more so because it has often proved to be an accepted work. For God has saved the children through the parents' prayers and admonitions. And you know, whenever I was reading that, uh, I wouldn't say today in the UK that Popery has advanced, but I would definitely say that agnostic has advanced, where young people are coming and they're left with religion, seeing it as being irrelevant, seeing as God as being a nice figurehead, but seeing him totally irrelevant. And you know, us as Christian parents, us as Christians here in Korean, it's up to us to reveal to Korean that God is relevant, that God lives, and that God is reigning today. And by uh, making God relevant, it's just by those simple means of having family worship, about attending church and about praying. Ultimately, as with Aiken, you can see how sin not only affects yourself, but also those around you. And quite often, sadly, those that are closest to you. We as Christians ought to be Christ-like, and how we can be most Christ-like is to hate sin. We have a responsibility to identify sin that God will reveal to us, and not only identify, but expose sin and put it away. And you know, that's what sanctification really is. Whenever you're saved, you should be more Christ-like whenever you die. It's dying onto sin and living onto righteousness. And you know, in closing, when the great victory was wrought in Jericho, the rest of the Canaanites didn't automatically surrender. There were many more battles ahead for Joshua and the Israelites. And you know, so that is with sin. When we have a victory over a particular sin, the next thing, another sin appears. And you know, Christian, I'm not here tonight to say that the Christian life's easy. In fact, I'm here to tell you it's the opposite. The battles are going to continue. And we individually and collectively, so we've seen the family and the church family, we individually and collectively cannot rest on past victories. Whenever we think back to the revivals of old, we think back to whenever many were saved, whenever this church opened, we can't come tonight and rest in those past victories. We have to push on and push forward. And we can depend on the ultimate victory that Christ won on the cross. And you know, sin ought no longer to have dominion over the believer. But just as the Canaanites, sin isn't an easy foe. And you know, the devil won't go away easy. Sanctification is a lifelong process. The parallel between Achan's sin and Israel's defeat at Ai, it teaches us that disobedience of one can have a devastating effect on not only our family home, but the church family. And although Achan's sin in secret, his sin was revealed and exposed in public. And here we see how Achan's sin caused the death of 36 lives in battle. Sin affects others. It's also noteworthy that secret sins are all known by the all-known sovereign God. And you know, just in closing, I want to finish by uh, setting out a challenge. Let us purpose in our hearts individually and collectively to live lives that are holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. May we then see and experience what God can do with a people who are surrendered to him. And it's only then that we can become before God in prayer and claim the promise found in James 5 and the verse 16. It says, confess your faults one to another 
and pray for one another that ye may be healed. This closing bit, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And may we even look back to tonight where we've set things right before God, where we've confessed our sins and we seek to live lives that are sanctified. We're never going to be perfect in this world. We're never going to tick every box. But praise God that he has promised that he can and he will sanctify us if that's our heart's desire. Just in closing, Timothy, there's some... Uh, I like to do this at Youth Fellowship. Any Friday night I'm speaking, I always like to think that we can take something away from tonight. So if we just go down those. Uh, God is holy and he hates sin. We've seen that in our reading tonight, that Achan had sinned and that God was holy and he was just to deal with that sin. And there's always an AI to follow a Jericho experience. You know, whenever we have a victory over sin or over something, we can often just rely on our own victories and think that it was because of us. And it's not long before an AI comes in and we're brought back down to earth and we realize that we're just a sinner saved by grace. We have a responsibility within our homes and within our local church. The next one. Sin will not only affect us, but those around us. So remember, whenever we're living lives and we commit a sin, not only does it affect us and our personal relationship with God, but quite sadly, it can affect us, those around us. As God is sovereign, he has us here for this day and generation. And he has us here for his purpose. And he has promised that he will never He'll never tempt us above that which you are able. I'd just like to close with that thought of Esther and that great quote where it says that God had Esther there for a particular purpose. And you know, God has us here in this day and generation and he knows what uh, trials and what challenges he, that are before us. But God has promised that he can equip us and he can help us deal with those things that come ahead. I trust tonight has been some sort of challenge and hopefully it's been maybe even a time where we can look at God's word and even be changed here tonight. Thank you very much. We'll maybe ask John if he wouldn't mind, John and Ill, if he wouldn't mind opening in a word of prayer. And just as always, as many people praying tonight, thank you.